Good morning. It is great to be with everyone, and we're so glad that we're all able to be together again. Uh, for those who are visiting, last week uh, there was a bug going around mostly with the kids that, uh, that uh, everyone was struggling with. Uh, only one adult got it, though, so maybe it was a kid bug, but we're just glad that we can all be together again to worship God. Something we should not take for granted, being able to be together. It is a blessing that we have the health that allows us to be together today. Thank you, Joseph, for the reading. I hope you will keep your Bibles out this morning because we're going to be using them a lot. I will put some verses on the screen, but I've got some lengthier readings today that I want to, uh, us to look into the Bible for as we look together. It's important for us as we study our Bibles to understand that we're not bound by the Old Testament today. We study the Old, Testament's exten uh, Old Testament extensively here. Uh, we're studying through the book of Exodus and on Wednesday night together. But as we study it, we need to understand that we're not bound by anything in the Old Testament law today. The a large portion of the New Testament is devoted to proving this fact that we're not bound by things in the Old Testament today. In Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 beginning, Paul writes, having wiped away, wiped out the handwriting of ordinances that was a uh, handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regard of a festival or of a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Throughout the New Testament, we're going to read where Paul and others are telling us we're not bound by the Old Testament law today. That has been done away with. That was taken out of the way and nailed to the cross. The Old Testament is not binding on us today. And that includes the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments. This passage and other passages we can look at tell us that the Ten Commandments are not binding on us today. Now, all, uh, all of them except the Sabbath are still bound because they're in the New Testament, not because they're in the Ten Commandments today. The Old Testament is not binding on us today. And as such, we have to be very careful about basing our authority on anything from the Old Testament. Because there are things in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Law that were sinful then that are not sinful now. There are things under the New Testament that we live under today that are sinful today that were not sinful then. The law has changed. We're not bound by the Old Testament. And there's a real temptation to go back to the Old Testament and pick and choose things from the Old Testament and bind them today and make laws out of them today. They were doing that in the New Testament. And they were told to stop it because it wasn't what they were supposed to do. And it's a danger for us today in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, Again, I testify to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You can't pick and choose. You can't go to the Old Testament. See, see, that's wrong. You can't do that today. If we go to the Old Testament to prove something and we bind that, Paul says you've got to take it all. It's not a pick-and-choose kind of thing. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. We can't bind anything from the Old Testament today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 tells us this way, the next verse. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. We've got to be careful as we look to the Old Testament that we don't use it to bind 
anything on us today. The New Testament is clear about that. And having said all that, you might wonder, well, why do we even have an Old Testament in our Bibles? Why not just cut it out? You know, some of us are having back problems these days. It'd be a lot lighter Bible if we didn't have, what, two-thirds of it in the Old Testament? Well, just cut that off. Make it a smaller thing to carry around and maybe less to study. I could focus more on the New Testament. Why even have it? Why study it? Well, Joseph read for us a passage that tells us why we study it. The things that were written before were written for our learning. We learn a lot from the Old Testament. In fact, if we didn't have the Old Testament, we wouldn't be able to stand, understand an enormous amount of things in the New Testament because the Old Testament gives us a foundation to work on and helps us to understand things in the New Testament. And one of the things that the Old Testament helps us to understand is what Jesus said about His sacrifice in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. A passage I want to look at, you with, we'll look at with you in depth this morning. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is the, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 26 that the fruit of the vine is not simply His blood. He didn't say that the fruit of the vine is His blood he said instead, this cup, this fruit of the vine is my blood of the new covenant. What does that mean? Why would he say it is the blood of the new covenant? I want to look at that with you this morning. Because I believe again that without an understanding of the Old Testament, we'd have no appreciation for what Jesus said when he said the fruit of the vine is his blood of the new covenant. It reminds us when we look at that of two things. The first thing it reminds us of is that the blood that Jesus shed was required for the redemption of our sins. God clearly stated this principle in the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. In Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. God was clear in the Old Testament that when someone does something they shouldn't, someone or something is going to have to die for that sin. In the Old Testament, the thing that had to die was a bull or a goat. When you committed sin, a bull or a goat would have to die for that sin. Turning your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, to help us understand how bad sin is. Sin is not something that we joke about. It's not just a oops, I messed up. Sin is a terrible thing, and God was establishing that understanding with the people in the Old Testament, and it carries over for us today. In Leviticus chapter 16, begin reading with verse 2. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. 
And the, son, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come just at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic uh, and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash. And with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of, a sweet, of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. On the east side, and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. God's principle throughout the Old Testament was when someone does something wrong, something has to die. A blood sacrifice is required for the atonement of sins. Hebrews summarizes that for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. When someone sinned, something had to die. Sin is terrible. Go on in the book of Leviticus and look back at Leviticus chapter 4. In Leviticus chapter 4, we see this enumerated again, the idea that sin required something to die. Leviticus chapter 4, beginning of verse 13. Leviticus 4, beginning of verse 13. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which should not be done, and are guilty. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin, for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of, of burnt offering. 
which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all, uh, all the fat from it and burn it on the altar, and so shall he do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. Over and over and over again, we read throughout the Old Testament that when sin occurred, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed so that sin could be forgiven. Blood has to be shed when there is sin. Unfortunately, though, the blood that was shed in the Old Testament was not a permanent fix. Sin was committed over and over again in the Old Testament, and that required more and more sin, uh, things to die and more and more blood to be shed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The, sin, the sacrifices that they were offering in the Old Testament weren't the ultimate fix for the sins that were being committed. The problem was that the blood that was used in the Old Testament wasn't completely effective. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It took something more than just the blood of bulls and goats. It required something more. And so what do we learn from the Old Testament? Again, we learn that sin is really, really bad. And that when someone sins, blood must be shed. And that the shedding of the bull's and goat's blood doesn't fully fix the problem. And so when we come to the New Testament, we learn the solution. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, beginning. Hebrews 10, begin reading with me at verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after that He said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then He says, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. For where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Do you see that Christ now is our final and complete sacrifice for sins. The Old Testament taught us that sin was bad. The Old Testament taught us that when someone sins, blood must be shed. The Old Testament taught us that bulls and goats' blood won't fix the problem. The New Testament tells us 
that Christ is our sacrifice. It required the death of a person in order to have sins remitted, and not just any person, the perfect Son of God. Jesus says the fruit of the vine is the blood of the new covenant. The blood, like they had in the Old Testament for sins, that wasn't effective. The blood now that is effective, Christ's blood. The fruit of the vine needs to remind us of what was required for our sins. And I appreciated Grant's heartfelt comments before the Lord's Supper this morning about all that Christ had to suffer so that we could have the blood of the new covenant. And if we stop and think about that, it's going to change the way that we live. It has to change the way that we live. If you're still there in Hebrews chapter 10, start reading with me in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Look at verse 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified in a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If it doesn't change our life by understanding the sacrifice that had to be paid for our sins, the Hebrew writer says, it's going to be really, really bad for us. The Hebrew writer says we we should not count the blood of the covenant by which we've been sanctified a common thing. It has to change our lives. We understand that our sin required Christ to hang there on that cross and His blood to be shed, the blood of the new covenant. It has to change our, our lives. The blood is different than the blood of the old covenant in the New Testament, the new covenant. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't work. It had to be shed continually, and it couldn't fully take away our sins. The fruit of the vine reminds us of the blood of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus that was shed once, that fully takes away sin, the blood that sanctifies us. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we take of the fruit of the vine, we need to remember that. We need to remember the blood that was required for our sins. There's a second thing that the blood of the new covenant reminds us of, and that is that it reminds us of our covenant with God. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel entered into their covenant with God, that we're reading about in Exodus, when they entered into that covenant, the blood sealed that covenant. Turn back in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. As Moses goes and gets the law from God, and he reads it to the people. Notice how they respond, and notice what was done to seal them in their covenant with God. In Exodus chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Exodus 24, beginning in verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from, from, uh, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near 
nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Look at verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And that Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Do you see that? They were given God's expectations of them. And they said, it's a deal. We'll do it. We want to be in a relationship with God. We will obey Him. We'll do what He said to do. And Moses said, okay. You said that. And what he did is he sprinkled blood on them to confirm the covenant. The blood of the covenant is what he said. I want to tell you, when we became Christians, when we became Christians... We entered into covenant with God. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, beginning of verse 18. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. When they entered into that covenant... The blood signified the arrangement and the agreement they had made with God. And when we became Christians, the blood of Christ sealed the covenant that we made with God. God has expectations for us as Christians. We said we will live that way, and the blood of Christ sealed the covenant. In verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, "...let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith." having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the blood that sealed that covenant. That agreement that we made with God, a covenant, requires action on both parts, doesn't it? It's not a covenant unless both parties agree to something. And God has given us His law and he said, if you will follow my instructions and my expectations for you, I will reward you and I will bless you. And we said, we will, we will follow that. We'll do what you expect of us to do. We entered that covenant. And the blood of the new covenant that we remember in the Lord's Supper should remind us of that agreement that we've made. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, a passage that we often look at as we partake of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're told to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. How am I living up? To what covenant I made with God? The covenant that I'm reminded of as I partake of that fruit of the vine, the blood of the new covenant. How am I living up to the agreement that I made? Jesus, as he took the fruit of the vine, said this is the blood of the new covenant. It reminds us of the price that had to be paid for our sins. And it reminds us of the covenant that we've made with God through that blood.
When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he gave us some very important things to remember. The blood of the new covenant is vitally important to us. The question for us this morning is, have you taken advantage of the blood of the new covenant and the salvation that God has made available as a result of the shedding of that blood? Have you taken advantage of that? And if not, why not? And why not now? And if you have taken advantage of that, but you're no longer living in accordance with the covenant that you made, the agreement that you made with God that was sealed with Christ's blood, if you're not living up to your part of the deal, why not? And why not fix that now? If there's anything we can do to help you spiritually, will you let us know while we stand and sing?